0: When I think of the Psalms and Fitzroy. I think of Rosemary, so how appropriate <laughs> that she would be reading that today. So you know that there's always something on Facebook that gets into the sermon. This week it was two photographs. Yesterday was Independence Day. But it was the day that some Fitzers became dependent on one another. Forty-five years ago, these Magals over here took their vows together. And there they are still, 45 years later, coming into Fitzroy in the morning, deserving all the round of applause you're going to give them. (laughs) And uh, Ian and Caroline, who usually sit over here, they're photographing up as well. They're not here this morning. But uh, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about getting married on Independence Day. There's something really subversive about that. We'll take independence day and we'll say, no, independence is not what we want in life. We want to be dependent on one another. And that is subversive. Chris Fry, and I've written a, a poem that's in one of the poetry books, if you want to buy them for the Build Fund in Uganda, feel free to do so, was that marriage is a revolution because it is against what society suggests that we're all about us and ourselves ourselves that we somehow when we come to this moment of committing to somebody we're saying we're going to depend on somebody else and commit ourselves to somebody else it's a revolutionally subversive act Psalm 133 was our favourite piece of scripture at CU about 1984 to 86 now when I come back to it over the course of the last couple of weeks I thought why on earth was that the case? Why on earth was this psalm so important to us when we were at university? And I think probably it was the first time when we came to university that we were meeting people from different denominations. I remember a Baptist saying that he couldn't believe that Presbyterians were Christians. It's something he grew up not being told was true. And I remember sharing communion. Should I have been... Should we edit that out, Richard? I'm not sure. At a Christian Union weekend, I was the closest to ordination in the, in the group, but there was people who were Salvation Army who'd never taken communion before. And it was this coming together of those of us from different journeys of faith trying to somehow bring it together in unity. What Rosemary has just been reading is short but very very powerful how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity it's thought that perhaps David wrote this when he was being made king because all the tribes came together and they unanimously voted him as king so this was a coming together and unifying thing um, when he had become their king and how appropriate then it would be that when they were walking up and maybe as they were walking up in the Songs of Ascent that we've been thinking that maybe they were going up to Jerusalem and as they're going along the road I'm imagining that they all didn't start out in a car park somewhere in Capernaum um, that there wasn't a a, a sort of bus and uh, pay pay and ride kind of thing that they would have been people in the different villages joining them as they went and that somehow this group of people as they've come to this church further down the road in the uh, Psalms of Ascent would have been this collection, as I call us, a menagerie of misfit people coming together on the road to journey together in unity. That's the image that's there. And unity in Scripture is there throughout Jesus. Very important, and we preached on it just a couple of years ago in John 17. How important is unity to Jesus? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, Father, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus wanting his people to be one, to be united. Philippians 2, in a church that had uh, factions, And wasn't going on too well together. What does Paul speak into that church about? Unity. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If any comfort from his love. If any common sharing in the spirit. If any tenderness and compassion. Then make my joy complete. By being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We're kind of back to Tony and Valerie and the vows they took 45 years ago, and not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of each other. And then, of course, Paul goes into that wonderful hymn about Jesus' humility in becoming incarnate. Or what's the image right at the end of all this? Where are we heading to in this journey, in this story of believers? Revelation 7, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Unity, unity, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's actually what this table's all about. We thought a few weeks ago about Eden, how we reached to be something more than we were because we were lied to and deceived to thinking we could be more than human, and ended up fallen and less than the human we were created to be. The relationship with God was broken, Set out into uh, the east of Eden relationship between man and woman. And very quickly after uh, Eden, we find Cain and Abel and Adam raised a Cain and we have murder and we have breakdown and we have relationship between humans now in friction and the relationship between humans and the creation itself. I have quoted before and don't mind quoting again, <clears throat> um, Walter Brueggemann, not Walter Brueggemann, um, Frederick Bickner's idea of sin. The biblical concept of sin is centrifugal. Now, if you're a scientist, and I know there are many in here, when I, when I use this quote, people say, well, do you know, Steve, centrifugal, you really can't, you, it doesn't really work the way, it, let's just use it as a concept for the moment. Let's not go into the actual, um, here's what he says. Sin tends to push everything out towards the periphery. Other people, and God, and the world, society, and nature. Whatever you call the greater which you're a part of. Sin is whatever you do or fail to do that pushes them away. That widens the gap between you and them. And also the gaps within yourself. Sin, pushing away, widening the gap between you and whoever the them is, and also the gaps within yourself. It's like this pushing out. You can see the splinters heading off towards the periphery, and everything is broken. Everything is disconnected. Sin. And then Jesus comes to do what? To bring it all back together. To unite us with God. To make the broken within us come together again. And then to unite us to one another. So I understand it. When the psalmist says. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in, humility, in, in, in unity. In fact at the end it says. That's where the Lord bestows his blessing Even life forevermore. This getting along together thing. This connecting again with each other. This idea of getting rid of the friction. As Jonathan has been praying before I preached. This is actually something at the core of what the table, the cross, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit being poured out is all about. God wants to unite us. And how does that work in our world? How does sin as a centrifugal force work in the world? Well, let's look at the world. And let's see what happened in Tunisia. And let's see what's happening around America. And let's realize that this sin force is breaking down and pushing people away. And the Christ force is that which wants to bring people back together. What about our own wee country and our own wee city? The Christ dynamic is to bring people together in unity. That is good and pleasant. That's where the Lord bestows his blessing. And if we in this country want to know the Lord's blessing, then we should be about uniting our people breaking down the divisions, using the power of this cross in reconciliation and peace building, as indeed we have been doing. There's a call to brother and sisterhood in the Gospels. There's a call to brother and sisterhood as we gather around this table. I'm not sure whether you had the privilege of seeing it you could go back home now and see it if you have 36 minutes in your life over this summer then use them to listen to Barack Obama's eulogy um, down um, uh, in Charleston for the minister Clementa Pinkte I think his name was 36 minutes the president of the United States of America on grace finishing With the the president of the United States of America Leading the congregation in amazing grace It's astounding stuff Now it's not a sermon And me as a preacher Have my critiques of it But as a Eulogy at a funeral As a speech of the president of the United States of America It is utterly Astounding And outstanding and he comes to this bit where he's talking about flags can I put this no I better not I'll not go there Um, something happened last week but I'll not share it because it'll go out on the the web if you want to know what happened come and talk to me afterwards there'll be a queue I can tell Um, he talked about flags and of course in the uh, southern states at the moment the confederate flag is really important in fact in East Belfast this week the confederate flag was equally important but then most flags are important any spell fast but what he was saying was that the confederate flag that was causing this fear or this resentment or this division in the southern states he said if we're living by the grace of god if we're living by grace then we need to fly our flags by grace so it might be an act of grace to bring the confederate flag down it might be brought down as an act of grace And it wasn't just the flag issue that I started to think about and blogged last week. That actually, if we're going to fly flags in our city and we we flew them with an attitude of grace, then I think people have a right to fly their flags. It wasn't just the flag thing that got me. It was Obama taking this concept of grace and this concept of amazing grace and actually putting it on his people because he's president to say, live this grace. Act this grace out. And for you that grace might be acted out in bringing a flag down. But what is it for us today? And what is it for you today? What does an act of grace mean for you today? Right now in your mind. Not that you believe in grace. Not that you could theologize grace. But where is it in your life that you need to actually live out your belief about grace. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And how we treat one another is grace the overriding factor. Because grace is the overriding factor that unites us with God at this table. And as I was preparing this, I realized I was going back to my first sermon of the church year, if you count the church year, from the end of August to the end of June, early July. Because when I come back from the holidays last year, I was talking about our fault lines. Those weak quirks that we all have underneath the surface, not necessarily sins, just that makeup that you got from your parents. Because Larkin did say, and those who know Larkin are worried at this point, Very worried and I'm not going to. I'll paraphrase Larkin. Philip Larkin said we're all messed up because we have parents. The fault lines of generations go through us. Those weak quirks, those weak character things. I wonder what kind of personality trait that is. And I wonder how that personality trait links with that personality trait. And I wonder if those two personality traits, when we're trying to pick the colors of a room behind me, will work together in harmony and unity. How good and pleasant it would be, but there might be work there. And that work might be a work of grace as we in the family of God come together from all our different class backgrounds, all our different geographical backgrounds, all our different theological backgrounds, all our different parental quirks. As we come together and God longs to bestow his blessing in our unity, then grace will be an overriding factor. There's two images here. I'm not going to go into them today, but they're interesting images. What is this unity like? It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. What? Well, if we go back to Exodus 30, Aaron, when he became a priest, they mixed this oil and they put it on his head. And it rolled down. And it was an anointing of God in priesthood. And so when we come in sense of unity, there's the sense of this presence of God in this unifying thing that God does by grace. And that moves into, it is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, if you were here as um, uh, Desi took us through the book of the Exodus, uh, I've been on this for quite a while since, but there's been that sense where that journey of the Exodus was from down in the Delta um, around the Nile and it was going up, and they eventually got up on Zion and they got all those. Uh, kinds of laws and all these kinds of, no, well, they went up first on uh, Mount Sinai and they got the law and then there's this idea of going up into onto Zion where they were going on this um, journey of ascent and Herman um, would be even above that and, and geographically it wouldn't be able to be done. But the idea that Desi was saying is that it's as if in, in their belief that somehow this was an image of where God was at the top of the mountain. And so, if the Jews falling down from the mountain, even on Zion where they're going up to, there's this sense that this is the blessing, the refreshing of God coming down upon them. If we live in unity, if we live in community, then this will be the place where we will be refreshed by God. So I started thinking about this idea of where the Lord bestows his blessing. And I'm back to another story I've repeated before, that story where I was in that room in Cape Town on Guguletu, and Cindy was literally dying in front of me. She had a few weeks to live, and we were at the end of ourselves after six or seven weeks in Cape Town, and we went to pray for Cindy. And as I laid hands on Cindy as we prayed, something happened that is one of those moments in my life where I go, now that was the blessing of God. Very few, but they happen now and again. Those moments where you just sense, oh my word, that was a connection. And as I unpacked that, I realized that it was where Jesus said, when you do this to the least of these, you do it to me. If you do this to the least of these, you do it to me. If you do this to the least of these you connect That's where I am Yeah we can say Where two or three are gathered He is in the midst That's really easy because here two or three are gathered But what about us going out To those who are dying Or on the street If you do this to the least of these Jesus said You do it to me If you do it I guarantee you'll get that blessing that sense of God's presence. And so where there's unity, and maybe where there's unity after division, maybe where there's unity that's only been the result of this grace interrupting, I believe that blessing will be there because God in his fullness of presence is there where we are obeying what God has told us to do. It would be easy in this psalm to think, look, that's a nice wee Sam. Look, it's pleasant, you know, when people get along. This is much more profound than this. Because people getting along is something really important at the heart of God. He wants us to get along. He wants us to be united. He wants us to be in community. Because when we live in the fullness of the community. That God designed for the garden of Eden. We find God dwelling at the center of it. Blessing us forever more. Let's pray together. Lord when we stop to think of sin. Is that pushing away Pieces flying out to the periphery Suddenly we see something of our own lives Relationships breaking down Personal relationships breaking down Church relationships breaking down Denominational relationships breaking down Societal relationships breaking down. The breaking down of relationships between nations. Suddenly we see that this sin force pushes away. Causes gaps. And then if we look closely enough, we see those gaps even within our own hearts. Our own souls. Our own minds. Disunity. Dysfunction. Broken world. And into that, Lord, we see the grace force, the Christ force, the redemption force bringing salvation into our own hearts and souls. That this table that we'll gather around in a moment or two is the place that we remember where Jesus died to repair us inside, to redeem us inside, to save us from the sin force that was breaking us apart and healing us again, and restoring us again, and then pouring out into our relationships with each other in church and denomination, in society, and in the nations. Lord, there, where you repair and restore and unify again, is your blessing. And we pray that this week and the weeks beyond it, we would live in the midst of your blessing. Because we would be a people who would live for that unity. And act out these words of these ideas of grace to one another. So as we gather around this table in a moment. Make it a remembrance that unifies, restores, redeems. And brings back all those flying pieces into wholeness again. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen.